to our worship team. I want to get up here today and say thank you to our sound team as well. I mean that, and thank you. Sound is one of those things where when it's going well, no one knows you're there. And when it's going poorly, everybody wonders what you're doing. Um, but we have a really faithful and very skilled sound team. And even this morning, as I could say, they'll figure it out. I'm just going to speak this loudly. I can say that because I know like, we have a very trustworthy and good team. So thank you, Dan, and thank you, Bob, and others who aren't up there right now, like Jesse and Logan. And um, You guys do awesome, and we really appreciate it. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you this morning and we thank you that you are good. We ask that you would show us your great character, who you are, your holiness. We ask that your will would be done and your kingdom come here as it is in heaven. And Lord, we come to you with all of our needs and ask that you meet us and that you fulfill and supply and provide. We also ask your forgiveness and that you lead us in forgiving others and not into temptation. Lord, we thank you that you are God Almighty with all the power and all the glory and all the strength and all the honor. We give these things to you. We come to you this morning, Lord, and we ask you to teach us to pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're talking about prayer this morning. We're talking about prayer because we're talking about seeking God. So if you were here last week, you heard me lay out the stuff around vision and values, and one of the points that I really tried to emphasize strongly is that in that process, what we're doing is we're seeking the Lord. Um, we're not interested in coming up with our own nice-sounding statements and lists and things, because whatever we can come up with, no matter how snappy or catchy or cool or whatever you're looking for, won't be anything compared to what God has for us. And so we need to seek Him. And as soon as we start talking about seeking Him, one of the primary things we're talking about is prayer. And so I knew in planning the kickoff Sunday and in planning to, to lay all that out before you that we were going to need to spend a couple weeks talking about seeking the Lord. And so this morning, both weeks we're going to be in the Lord's Prayer and what follows. This morning we're going to follow that in Luke, in Luke chapter 11. Next week we're going to follow that in Matthew. Um, the prayer is the same, but where Jesus goes with it is quite different. Connected and important, and they're both going to be about us seeking the Lord in discernment. But today we're going to talk about seeking the Lord, and next week we're going to talk about forgiveness. And you may not see the connection, but you will by the time we're done these two weeks. So today we are in Luke 11. And if you have a Bible or a phone, you like to have the text in front of you, then you can pull that out. It's going to be on the screen here, and I'm going to ask everybody to please stand for the reading of the Word of God. We do this every week. It's our tradition. This is a way to honor the Word of God, to participate in receiving it, and to remember that this is the best thing you're going to hear from me this morning. Um, everything else is just dressing for what's the real meat here. So Luke 11, verses 1 to 13. You guys ready? All right, starting in verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, 
Your will be done. Oh, my mistake. It's a Luke version. I was jumping ahead. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, I don't know if you think about this very much, but prayer is strange. You think about prayer from God's perspective, and the scriptures tell us that God knows every word before it's formed on our tongue. He knows what we're going to say. He knows how we're doing. He knows who we are better than we do. Um, and, and he's the Lord of all the universe, of all creation, of all time and space, of everything. And yet, he wants us to come and talk to him. And that's odd. And the only way to explain that is that we are his children and he loves us. And he wants to hear us and he wants to spend time with us. I don't often know the words of my children's mouths before they're formed on their tongues, but every once in a while you do, right? Every once in a while you know what's going on, and you still want them to talk to you. You still want them to tell you. You still want them to open up to you. And God as our Father likes that and longs for that and calls us to that. And he doesn't do that because he's needy, this is the other thing that happens among people when somebody really wants you to seek them out and to be with them. It's often the case that they want that for themselves. They're lonely or they want to feel needed or fill in the blank. This is not the case with God. Um, it's all about how much he loves us because he's fully sufficient in himself. And so from God's side, prayer is about relationship and about love and about how good he is. Often that's not the case from our side. There are some very common responses to the call to prayer. One is to ignore it, just not to pray. Um, and there's lots of reasons why that may be where any of us are at this morning. We don't believe in God. We don't believe in prayer. Um, it doesn't make sense to us. Why do I need to pray? God's going to do what he's going to do anyway. He already knows everything. There's no point. Uh, maybe we've prayed before and it never seems to get us anywhere. And so we just give up right? Um, sometimes it's just that life is full, full of other things. We get busy, and we do this to people as well as we do this to God, a good friend, and you don't talk to them for weeks because life is too busy, and it's too full, and so you don't. This is one response to the call to prayer. Another response to the call to prayer, quite common in the church, is to treat it as a duty. I know I'm supposed to do this, so I will do this, and uh, this is a mixed blessing, 
On the one hand, to approach prayer like this um, is to take something that is meant to be kind of like the fire of life and turn it into something cold and dead. And we're really good at this around the things that God commands us to do because he commands us to do things because they're, they're supposed to be amazing. Um, but we're good at taking them and making them like, bleh. On the other hand, though, God is incredibly gracious. And if you come to prayer as a duty, God often meets us anyway, right? And there are lots of stories in Scripture and out of people who are seeking the Lord in prayer and their heart's not in it. And God comes anyway, and it's like, okay, didn't know what I was getting into, and it's amazing, right? Never underestimate the power of faithfulness in the hands of a faithful God. Um, if that's all you've got, if all you can do is come to prayer as a duty, it's better than nothing. There's a third common approach to prayer, and most of us have been here, which is prayer as a last resort. It's where you end up when you don't know where else to turn. Um, you've tried everything you know how, and none of it's working, so I guess I'll try prayer, right? And again, God is incredibly gracious, and he meets us in that place. And there's lots of those kind of stories too, like, Lord, if you get me out of this, then fill in the blank, and God gets you out of this. And some people are faithful to that, and some people aren't. Um, and there's some, some very famous Christians throughout history, people like Martin Luther, and I'm going to forget John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. Their faith journeys start with that kind of a moment. Um, but God calls us to something deeper. God calls us to recognize what prayer truly is and the place that seeking God can have in a life well lived. And we see this in the way that Jesus responds in Luke 11 to his disciples' request. It's interesting to me that we don't get a lot of record anyway of the disciples coming to Jesus saying, teach us. There's a couple times where they ask him to explain parables he, he says a parable, it doesn't make sense to them. They say, what does this mean? So there's a few of those. And then there's this, and that's it. They're sitting under Jesus' teachings all the time, but the only time they come to him and they say, Lord, we want you to teach us this thing, is prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. And we know, we know that Jesus modeled prayer. We know that he often goes off into the, the wilderness to pray. This passage opens up one day as Jesus was praying in a certain place. Um, then the disciples, they're, they're waiting for him to finish praying. And then they say, Lord, teach us to pray. We know that they've seen the difference it makes. One of my favorite stories is when Jesus is up on the mountain with a couple of his closest disciples, communing with his father, and the rest of them are down on the bottom, and someone comes and, and his, I think it's his son, is possessed with a demon. And he says to the disciples, you know, can you cast out this demon? And they try and they can't. And Jesus comes down off the mountain and he rebukes them and he says, this kind only comes out through prayer. Um, you're missing basically what he's saying to them. You're missing a really key part of this process. But what's super cool about that story is Jesus doesn't pray in that moment. He's not saying that prayer is a magic technique, and if you just prayed the right way right now, this demon would have come out for you as well. He's saying, you haven't lived the life of prayer that you need to to have power in this situation. And so they come to him and they say, teach us to pray. And it is good. It is really good. Because the first thing to say is that Jesus does not give them a method. Jesus does not give them a technology of prayer. Technology works independent of the user's state. You can pull out your phone and you can say, hey, Google, and you can ask a question or you can ask Siri. And Google and Siri, they don't care if you're mad 
or sad or ecstatic, if you're asking the question so that you can prove someone wrong and hurt them by this winning this argument, or if you're doing it to help your child because they are having trouble in school, like Google and Siri, they don't care about any of those things. It doesn't matter because it's technology. And when it comes to technology, all you have to do is follow the right steps. And if you follow the right steps, it works. Um, that's it. You meet the conditions, end of story. Prayer isn't like that. People aren't like that. You, if you have good friends, if you had a spouse, you had a girlfriend, you know you can't just follow the steps and they're going to respond exactly the same way every time. Sometimes we wish they would. <laughs> It'd be a lot easier if there was like a happy process. that You just follow these four steps and make your spouse happy every time. That would be awesome. But people don't work that way and it wouldn't actually be awesome, would it? Because we don't want robots. We want friends and we want loved ones and we want family. And God is the same. And so Jesus doesn't say to them, when you pray, here are all of the things that you have to do. He gives them an example of prayer, which gives them a ton of permission, and we'll look at that. And this is what we call the Lord's Prayer. He gives them a parable. He gives them this ridiculous story of these friends at midnight, and I'll explain why it's ridiculous. Um, and then he gives them one more kind of story well, he makes his point first. He says, just ask. And then he tells us about us and God, fathers and our heavenly father. And all of it points to the center of prayer being about who God is and who we are. Not technology, not steps and methods, but who God is and who we are. That's why the first word of his prayer is Abba or Father. Because when we come to God in prayer, we are coming to our gracious Heavenly Father who loves us and wants to have a close and intimate relationship with us, who is a giver of good gifts beyond our imagination, who knows what's best for us more than we do, and who wants good things for us. And the more we understand that about God, the more prayer becomes life-giving. Very, very often, and I've done this lots, we come to God in prayer, and there's this, there's this sense of like, okay, if I really grovel enough, if I repent hard enough right now, if I, if I show God how bad I feel and how much I know I'm unworthy, then maybe he'll hear me and I'll get what I want. <laughs> but that's not who God is, and that's not how we need to come to him. And there's none of that in the example prayer that Jesus gives us. So he starts with the Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And if you were in Matthew, it would also say your will be done. And this is, these are big prayers. To say hallowed be your name is a request for God to reveal how holy and awesome and great he is. To hallow something is to sanctify it, to set it apart, to make it known as holy. Show us who you are, is what Jesus is saying. We begin our prayers in. Why? because that's what brings our prayers to life. That's what this whole thing is about. The more you know who God is, the more you're able to pray well, and the more excited you will be to pray, because you know how good he is, and how holy he is, and all of the, you know, we can list attributes, righteous and just and merciful and gracious and loving and, and so on and so forth, right? Um, so show us that, and not just us, right? The prayer always has this dual what is done for us, but also what is done through us, which is why it's not just you hallow your name or I hallow your name. It's this 
a neutral, like hallowed be your name. May your name be hallowed. Who's going to do this? Both of us. Us, God's children, and God. Right? It's a huge part of our mission in the world is to reveal in our lives, in our actions, and in our words how good God is. That's why we're called to things like forgiveness and generosity and reconciliation because as we live those things out, the people around us can begin to see who God is. And then your kingdom come. Um, may reality, may the world we live in, line up more and more with the way that you, God, would rule things and run things. And that, too, is a really, really good prayer. We need that freedom. One of the long testimonies of Scripture, and we get to look at this in October in Exodus, is that when we are living in slavery, whether that be slavery to the Egyptians or slavery to sin, we are not free to worship and to live as God has called us to. And so your kingdom come is a prayer for freedom, it's a prayer for empowering and equipping so that we can go out and do the things that God has called us to do, and he can do the same. So you start with these big picture prayers. This is the setup. These are the things we ultimately need. These are the things that are going to create that virtuous cycle of knowing God more and living out his kingdom more that creates the the momentum for prayer and for seeking him. But God knows we don't just live in that place. Jesus knows that in the midst of that, there are a lot of things that get in our way. Um, it's hard to seek to hallow the name of God and to live out his kingdom when you're starving. So we move from those big prayers to very practical ones, three in particular. Give us each day our daily bread, which is another way of saying provide for us each day what we need for this day. Right? This too is an Exodus kind of prayer. Give us our manna. Give us what we need to get through. And we'll trust you again tomorrow to give us what we need to get through. Forgive us our sins. This is a relational prayer. Just as it is very difficult to seek the kingdom of God when, when physically we're, we're living in a place of dire need, it's also difficult when relationally we're in a place of dire need. When you're living in broken relationships and in places of bitterness and anger and hurt, it's hard than to find the space and the freedom and the, the peace of soul and of mind to pray and to seek God. And so we pray for forgiveness from him and through us, right? Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And next week, this is where we're going to go, because in the prayer, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, after he's finished the prayer, instead of talking about seeking God and knowing who he is, he talks about the need for us to follow this example, so we'll leave that one aside for now. And lead us not into temptation or testing uh, because that too is a place where we tend to fall away from God. So we have this model prayer. Seek the Lord. He's good. It's not meant to be exhaustive. It's meant to be instructive and exemplary. It's meant to show us that there's nothing too big or too small to bring to God. Your daily needs, they're not too small. You don't need to come to him and say, oh, you're the Lord Almighty. You don't care about that. I'll just deal with it. No, he does care. Um, there's also nothing too big. Your kingdom come, like that's huge. That's not going to happen until Jesus returns. And yet we still pray for it. We still long for it and seek it. We have that freedom because of who God is, because he is our loving heavenly father. And this is why Jesus goes on to tell this story. And one of the things you have to know about this story is that it's supposed to be hilariously ridiculous. You're supposed to hear this story, if you understand the culture, and think, nobody would ever do that. 
Nobody would ever respond like this. Um, suppose one of you is a friend and you go to him at midnight and you say, you know, someone's come, a friend has come and I have nothing to give them to eat. Can you give me some bread? All right, so this is the setup. And we don't live in the time anymore, so we don't understand what Jesus is saying here. But there's a couple things you need to know. So first of all, bread is baked daily as a community. Whether you're in a village or you're in a city, the women would come together and cooperate to make the bread that they need to make. And at the end of the day, some of the bread that wasn't eaten would be taken as leftovers by specific people. And everybody would know who had the leftover bread because it's what you're going to need to eat in the morning or if something happens in the middle of the night. So that's the first thing to know. Second thing to know, bread is the humblest of all requests. You get a guest in the middle of the night, they've been traveling for a long time, they need to eat. The least, the poorest, the most humblest meal you can offer them is bread and salt. A normal meal in the Middle East at this time, bread is your utensil. There's communal dishes in the middle, you get a loaf of bread, you rip off a piece of it, you dip it in whatever it is in the middle, and you eat. Bread is your fork and your spoon. So to go to your neighbor and ask for bread, one of two things is going on. You're planning on asking other people for the rest of the food or providing it for yourself, or you really have very little and this is all you can offer. But either way, it's not like a deep, incredibly generous thing to ask of someone to give you bread. You're asking for very, very little. That's the second thing you got to know. Third thing you have to know is that in these circumstances, in a community or in a village, everybody knows someone has arrived. We're not talking about modern housing with insulation in the walls and lots of different rooms. People live in one or two room homes and you all know what's going on in the neighborhood. Someone gets there in the middle of the night and what's on the line is the honor of your community or your village. If you cannot be a good host to this guest, then you, as the person they've come to, will experience shame, but so will your entire community. Which is at what Jesus is trying to say, and the translation's really hard to get here. So the one we read, because of your shameless audacity. Other translations will say, because of your boldness. Other translations will say, to protect himself or his image or his honor. Um, What's trying to be communicated there is that when you come to your neighbor and you ask for bread, you are, whether they like it or not, putting their honor directly on the line with yours. Now, it was already there because you're part of the village and you're part of the community, but it's even more so now. Because if you refuse in this situation, it's, it's not just the one guy who goes under the bus because he couldn't feed his friend. You do too right? And that reflects badly on the whole community, and everybody's going to be upset with the two of you instead of just the one of you. And so in this circumstance, the likelihood of your neighbor saying, get lost, is so low as to be absurd, okay? Which is the point. Jesus is telling you this story because by the end of this story, you're thinking, well, of course he's going to help him. What is this? So that he can say, how much more will your heavenly Father, who loves you so much more than your neighbor does, who has so much more to offer than the humblest meal of bread and salt, who cares so much more for both our honor and his own, he often acts for his name's sake. 
right? Like all of the things that are at play in this story are much more true of God. So how much more freely are you to go to him than you would to this neighbor at midnight? And now Jesus makes the point he's making explicitly. I just told you the story. You all get the point. So I say to you, ask and seek and knock because you know, you know that when you come to your heavenly father asking and seeking and knocking that he will answer you. Right? And those three words are chosen, ask, seek, knock, because that's what the guy does in the story. He knocks on his friend's door, and he's looking for bread. He knocks on his friend's door, and he asks for it. And so we come to God, and we do exactly that, because he's that good. And then you think to yourself as you're listening to Jesus, right? So he's laid out this prayer in which you can ask for huge things and small things, and you, the kind of implicit question is, yeah, but will God really answer? So you tell the story of this neighbor. It's like, yeah, of course he's going to answer. Go ask, go seek, and go knock. Yeah, but what's he going to answer with, right? That's the last kind of how, how is he going to respond? And so Jesus says, which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? Again, it's absurd, right? The question is supposed to be absurd. How many fathers are there in this room? Hands up. Would any of you give your child a snake when he asked for bread? Hands up. We got one. That's awesome. <laughs> and it doesn't matter if you're a father. Like, each of you are friends and family to people, and you wouldn't do this to them. You wouldn't be like, here's your egg, and you open up your hand, and there's a scorpion. Right? None of you would do that to someone you cared about. And so then Jesus gets harsh. He says, if you, though you are evil, know how to good give good gifts. It's like, cool. Okay, then. Thanks, Jesus. Uh, other translations will say, though you are sinful. Like, we're messed up, and we do often do things to hurt people, and we don't always give good gifts, but we know how. How much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And I love how that's the conclusion. Not how much more, not how much more will your Father give you whatever you want, um, but how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? Because God gives not just what we ask for, but far abundantly beyond what we can imagine. And that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it brings us full circle back to the beginning about being prayer, about being about relationship, and about connection, not about being technology. Because when God gives the Holy Spirit, he's giving of himself. He's giving of what we need to have that deeper relationship with him and to hear him and to know him. The Holy Spirit is part of the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us to lead us and to guide us and to instruct us and to rebuke us and to remind us and to encourage us and to equip us and to comfort us. And you get this big list. And all of those things are the kind of things the best people in our life do. The best people in our life comfort us and encourage us and strengthen us to do the things they know are good. And they, the best people in our life rebuke us when we've messed up. They tell us we're getting it wrong. And they remind us of the things that are most important to us. And so we come and we seek God and we ask. And this isn't Jesus' way of saying, ah, you asked for bread, but you know what? You don't really need to eat. I'm just going to give you the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus' way of saying, he'll meet us and then much, much more. So the disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. 
And Jesus says, basically, you want to know how to pray? Get to know who your father is. Understand that he is the good father that you can come to with anything. You can talk to him about anything. Understand that as you do that, he will answer. And understand in his answer that it will be better than what you could have asked for. Now, that last one can take faith. And in other instructions of Jesus on prayer, that's very clear that he knows that. Because sometimes we desperately want something that we really shouldn't have. And none of us like being told no. None of us enjoy hearing the answer be, not this time, not yet, not now, or not ever. Right? We don't like that. And so we can have experiences in prayer that feel hard or negative or trying because we're waiting, and that can be really hard. None of us like waiting either. Uh, but it's not because any of the things Jesus has just laid out aren't true. It's not because God isn't a good father who we can come to with anything, who has abundant resources, who will answer, and who knows how to give good gifts. Those things are all true. It's because sometimes we, like children, want things that aren't good for us. My kids are like this too. We went to the candy store yesterday, and I probably let them buy a little too much candy, and thinking I could just say, this is how much you can eat. And they listened when I was present, but I found out later that afternoon that our two youngest children snuck a whole bunch more. <laughs> now, if I'd been there, I would have said no, not because I don't want them to have good things, but because there comes a point at which you really should just stop. <laughs> it's not healthy for you. It's not good for you. And they don't know that yet, right? The candy tastes good. That's all they care about. And I'm thinking, like, you're going to have a stomach ache, you're not going to eat your dinner, you need proper nutrition, you're going to be bouncing off the walls for the next two hours, and my wife's away at a retreat, and oh my goodness, why did I go to the candy store? Um, <laughs> we, we come to God like that. And that can make prayer trying, and it can require faith. But that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing, too. And when that happens in your prayers... When you come to God in prayer and you're not getting what you really want and what you think you need and so on and so forth, take that as an invitation to grow and go deeper into the truths that Jesus has laid out in Luke chapter 11. So that instead of saying or thinking, God's ignoring me, he's not answering me, he doesn't, et cetera, et cetera, fill in all the blanks, think to yourself, okay, I need to learn how to see the goodness of God in this. God help me do that. I need to recognize where you're giving me something else because it's better. God, help me see that, right? And you, you move on that journey in prayer. Now, we get to do this as a church. We get to come to God and we get to seek him in vision and values. And we get to do that knowing all of these same things that Jesus has taught in Luke chapter 11 and that this process too might require faith. God gives us what we need and he gives us more. But at the same time, there are things that take longer because that's what we need and come differently because that's what we need. The clear conclusion of Jesus' teaching, they come to him and they say, teach us to pray. Everything he says leads to the conclusion of seek the Lord in everything with all your heart, mind, strength, body, soul. Um, and that's what I want to call us to personally, individually, but also corporately as a church. That's why we have this prayer meeting on Thursday as well as our regular ones, Tuesdays at lunch on the, not this week, but the one after um, second and fourth weeks of the month because we need to be coming together to seek the Lord. I wanna give you, I'm gonna call the worship team up
and I'm gonna give you guys a time to do that right now because there's no time like the present to respond in obedience to the commands of Jesus. And I just wanna encourage you to come to him for a couple minutes as the worship team begins to lead us with whatever, whatever it is you've got, right? Maybe you're thankful and you, got, you give him gratitude. Maybe you're frustrated and you express that frustration. Maybe you're in deep need and you lay that before him. It can be really helpful to walk through those requests of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive others and lead us not into temptation. Um, and think through each of those and think, where do I need to know your greatness? Where do I need to see more of your kingdom? Where am I living in daily need? Um, where do I need to forgive or be forgiven? And where am I facing temptation that I need to ask for your strength? So that's something you can do right now if you want, but you don't need to. Pray as you need to pray to the God who hears, who loves you, who answers, and who knows how to good get, give good gifts. Let's begin in prayer together. Lord, teach us to pray. Right now, teach us to pray. Come and meet us in this space as we bring to you what's on our hearts and minds and what we're bearing on our shoulders and our backs. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear your answer and faith to trust that it is good and that you are better. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And let's continue praying each on our own.